Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, March 14th. That means it's time for an episode of the Power Hour. We are here live. We do have the team with us from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. It is a maintenance free-for-all. You've got a question that has anything at all to do with maintenance, pick up the phone and join us. We're going to open the phone lines right now. So jump in 855-950-3835. We are back in the studio today. We thought we might still be on the road. The plan was uh, we're just going to make a quick pit stop here. We're back from our trip to LA for the trade show. We're going to grab some things and head out to the coast for a week or so of vacation, but the weather's just not cooperating. So we decided to hang out here and see if the weather gets any better, and then uh, maybe we'll see about taking off for a little bit. Let's, uh, let's get started today. Let's find out what's on Bruce's mind. Bruce, welcome back. Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure to be on here with you. What, uh, what's on your mind and this week? I just want to say, what is reality? Uh, and years ago, I had a dream of building a 777 engine. And I was told that's absolutely impossible. I wanted 700 horsepower, 7 miles to the gallon, and 700,000 miles out of the engine. That doesn't seem impossible. that far of a stretch at all. Back then it was. Yeah, it would be. Then, know, but now it doesn't run seem like much. Three, yeah, 300, 350,000 is all you got out of an engine. You know, uh, Cummins at one time told me they'll never go higher than 444 horsepower, and Caterpillar told me that they're going to stay at 425, and uh, they never expect to go higher. We had Pittsburgh Power, and we just kept going and going and going. You know, we were like the bumblebee that didn't know it couldn't fly. <laughs> we just kept building and trying things, and, uh, and look what's happened, you know. That's right. And it's amazing how uh, some of the OEMs have caught up to us. <clears throat> but when, I was going to say something, um, Bruce. I, I was thinking about this the other day. We were just on a trip, and we stopped, and we had to grab a rental car, and I had uh, I had them come out and pick me up. So the kid that came to get me was young. We just got talking about cars. And he had a Mustang and he was proud of it. So he was showing it to me in the parking lot. And I said, oh, it's got the 302 V8. And he looked at me and he said, what? And I said, it's got a 302 V8. And he said, no, it's got a five liter. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, but I got thinking about <laughs> <laughs> the way we we refer to engines. And, you know, for cars, you and I growing up, we always referred to them as in cubic inches. You know, we, we called it a 427 mm-hmm. or a, you know, a 285 or whatever it was sure. it, in cubic inches was how we referred to it. If, in trucks, we never did that. We used to refer to them by their horsepower, right? Wasn't that the most common way we would refer to a diesel? And then we went to liters. We never, we've never really referred to a diesel engine in cubic inches, but we always did with cars. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. Whenever we were road racing at Nelson's Ledges in Warren, Ohio, and we would do the Corvette Porsche challenge, which we really loved to do, uh, 
these fellows were rich and we were just poor country kids. I mean, we had to make a lot of our parts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they talk leaders. And I remember looking over at my one buddy. He was Italian from uh, White Plains, New York, Rich McCauldy, still building engines down in Charlotte, same age as me. I said, what the hell is a leader? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were talking about spending 900, this is, this is 72, 73, they're $950 per wheel. I, I paid $50 for my Anson Sprints a piece yeah. up in Detroit when I was judging at the International Show Car Association. They were having a sale. Man, I had to come up with two hundred dollars. <laughs> but I came home. I came home with those Anson sprints. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, a lot of times when when we use metric, we do it because it's more accurate. For example, we would use millimeters instead of inches. It's more accurate. You, you have a finer measurement to use, so it becomes more accurate. I don't know why we use liters for vehicles, though, because it's the opposite. We, you know, you have a five liter or a six liter doesn't really tell you much, but when we use cubic inches, we can get right down to the minute difference of 455 or a 454. That's so it seems odd that, that we use liters in vehicles and it's not all that accurate. That's correct. That's correct. But anyway, did you ever, you know, back to reality, did we ever really think when the emissions came out in 2003, these EGRs and the failure rates of engines, that we would ever be able to buy an emissions engine and run it trouble-free? And it didn't happen until Jane Gates appeared in my life. Took a long time. And here she was standing, yeah, and up till 2018. And from 2003 to 2018, my God, she would have made our lives much easier if uh, she would have been around. She was around. We just didn't know about her. And my God, I wish she would have called me. But then now we can buy an emissions engine and put the max mileage catalyst in it and run trouble free. Who would have ever thought that was going to happen? But it's reality now. But where I was going with this, um, JR. Our one electrical engineer that works with Leroy, and he appeared in my office door, and uh, you you've seen him. He fills the entire office door. Six five, four hundred pounds, size eighteen shoe. He's a big guy. He is a big boy. And he's an electrical engineer. And I said, "You're not an electrical engineer. They're usually smaller people like me." And he says, "I'm an electrical engineer from Samsung Television, Riverside, California." I said, "What are you doing here?" He said, my wife did a study in the, on the cost of living in the northern part of western Pennsylvania is one of the cheapest places to live. I said, well, gee, I never knew that. And uh, I said, well, what do you know about ECMs on trucks? He said, nothing. I go, well, this is a great way to start. <laughs> and he said, but do they have printed circuit boards? I said, yes, they do. He said, then I can repair them. There you go. I said, hold up your hands. Well, you know. I printed some of the printed circuit boards we change in these are an inch and a quarter by an inch and a quarter, and they have 128 right. solder joints around. I said, let me see those hands. He holds up these paws. I said, there's no way you can do that. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of kidding with this guy, you know. Right. But uh, I, what I didn't know that he was as 
a gearhead. So I had to give him a chance. He became reality. But I just came back yesterday from teaching my six-year-old grandson how to ski. I watched them for two days in ski school, and I didn't like how they were teaching them. And I remembered the things they told us in 1972 in Killington, Vermont. I've never forgot it, you know. This is my 60th year of snow skiing, by the way. And I hadn't skied all winter until I, I went down to ski with, with him. And so I took him, I put a harness on him, and I took him down the slope about four times. And then I'm holding this harness behind him, and I ski up beside him, and he looks over, and I taught him what peripheral vision meant. And the smile on his face, because he knew I wasn't holding him back now. Yeah. And this is history, this little six After two days of me skiing with him, I mean, he's bombing the, the, the beginner slopes now. The right, beginner right. slopes. Yeah. And, but reality, back to Western Pennsylvania. When we built our shop in 2007, 2008, we bought the property in 2007. That's when we moved to Saxonburg, Pennsylvania. I bought my home, brand new, split entry, above ground, property and all, for $87 a square foot. Right. To build a home in Colorado a few years later was 300 a square foot. Now, what do you think it's costing in Telluride, Colorado? This is an old mining town down in a valley. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a steep valley. Yes, it is. You can hardly even ski down into it. You have to ski on the back side of it, ride the gondola back down. $3,000 a square foot. <laughs> That's just crazy. Just insane. This town is filled with these little mining shacks that are like 1,500 square feet. No garage. Street parking. The streets are a disaster, by yeah. the way. But if you want to buy one of these little mining homes, you better have about $4.5 million. You know, Bruce, we... And they're side by side. We were just in L.A. And, and I'm very familiar with the real estate prices in that area. I said we sold, you know, two properties not far from you in, in Ohio. They were in Salem. And this square foot price, like you said, is just so low. It was crazy. I mean, we had a almost a 4,000 square foot house on a large lot, very large lot, in a nice neighborhood in Salem. And it sold for like 170 something. It was just insane, and I'm looking at a house across the street sitting there that they just built that is maybe 1,800 square feet, maybe 2,000 because they did a basement in this one, which is unusual. Um, that was listed for 750, and it's got no lot. I mean, it's it basically zero lot lines. You have five feet from your house to your mm -hmm. lot line, and that's yeah. the kind of prices they were getting here. And we're not, I mean, it's a beautiful place to live, but, you know, we're, we're kind of a little far from Portland. It's not a great commute, but the, uh, and the prices aren't coming down yet. We, we're watching real estate because I want to buy some more real estate in the gorge, but the prices aren't coming down much yet. So I'm seed and always, they didn't. By the way, they didn't know these young fellows driving these a GMC stood for a giant monkey cage or garage man's <laughs> companion. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, 
And I'll also try to explain to them that don't do black in ski country, do silver because it doesn't show the dirt as much because you have to wash these vehicles every night. But then we started talking prices on real estate and uh, the manager came over and he's telling me 3,000. He said, some are as high as 5,000 a square foot. I said, no, I square foot. I hold my hands up square foot. Right. Then I told him about my, my home in Saxonburg for $87 a square foot. And I, I'm, but this is not reality here. Oh, $22 for a small bowl of chili. Wow. Yeah, I, I will say the, mm-hmm. um, the prices on food, we just, we were just out. And, you know, we had people with us, employees, who we were going out to dinner every night. And the food was insane. The cost of food, I was just absolutely shocked how much it's gone up. I, I was going to mention this area that we were in, and it was in California. It's east of L.A. It's about, should be about a 30-minute drive into L.A. if you didn't have traffic. It was about an hour and 15 minutes most days. It's this little canyon, and for some reason, they started building in there, and it was probably back in the 60s. It was probably started as some hippie commune. This narrow little canyon, they, they built three parallel roads with a couple short crossroads. They crammed so many houses into this area. It's just bizarre. Nobody has a driveway. Nobody has a yard. It's houses right up against houses. There was no zoning of any kind. So it's all different designs and looks. And then the other weird thing is they must have some Goofy rule on horses. I'm not exaggerating. There were properties in this area that the yard may have been, oh, 600 square feet. I'm talking the yard outside might be 600 square feet. And they would have too many horses in the yard in that tiny little space. And a lot of people had horses and there was no room for them. The road was so narrow and dirt and, and rutted. We actually, I have a, a carrier underneath the Sprinter. It's right underneath like the side fairings and it's just a PVC pipe and you stick your sewer hose in it. So it's nice and long so the sewer mm-hmm. hose can say lay out flat. I, I smashed that because the road was so rough. I can't get the end cap back on it now because it's out of shape. This was just a bizarre area. Here's the other weird thing. We rented an Airbnb for like a hundred and some dollars a night, which is, you know, pretty cheap in a, in a good area for an Airbnb. It was, it's three bedroom, three bathroom. We had room for everybody. But this house is also listed. It, they want to rent it full time, like, you know, a month to month or a, you know, year lease or whatever. Right now they're doing it as an Airbnb. They have this thing listed for $6,500 a month. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This, and like I said, it's not that close to LA. It's not an easy commute. The, the mm-hmm. area is just, like I said, it's just bizarre. I don't even know how this area ever mm-hmm. came to be. Well, there are units in Telluride that are that price per night. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, kind of crazy. But, you know, not to get too far off track here, but we, we had some uh, 
some signs that the economy is in for a rough ride. That these banks collapsing like this yeah. not a good sign at all. No, I know two businesses have had their money in that uh, Silicon Valley bank. Bad idea. They're Although this is what this is what's kind of pissing me off. You've you've got we have limits on deposit insurance. So $250,000 per account, and you can combine accounts and get more. Um, I was telling people yesterday, if you have a lot of cash in the bank right now, you need to protect yourself by spreading it around. Like you, if you're married, you get a joint account that's good for 250000 of insurance. Then you can get a single account for each person. Those are both good for two fifty. Then the business can hold two fifty. But these companies had hundreds of millions of dollars in this bank, which is, that's their problem. They shouldn't do that. That's poor money management in a business. But they did it. Now the government's going to use our money to bail them out. They already are. Yes. That's just so mm-hmm. wrong. They made a mistake. It's a business. So this think- is a free market. If you screwed up and you didn't put your money where it should have been and you lost it over something like this, you should just go out of business. You shouldn't get my tax money to help you. I agree. I agree. So they should look at the people that ran the Silicon Valley Bank and see what they have. And they should take their assets and let them start out from scratch again. Yeah. Yeah, instead, they're going to take ours. Back out in the desert. Yeah. But back to reality. You know, we've seen some things in our industry that have become reality. And so we never know what, what's around the corner and, and what could end up. People like Leroy working on things, Leroy and JR, and we never know. That's right. So that's all I have. All right. Well, let's... Uh... Let's find out what's on everybody else's mind this morning. Pete, welcome. Hello, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? So, you know, just a couple of small things. One uh, reminder, we're going to be at the Louisville Truck Show March 30th through April 1st, booth 69212, same place where we've been for many years. And we will be doing tunes there. So if anyone wants to tune, let us know. And then a couple of things I've been reading um, with Cummins. Um, they had a bunch of information put out this week, last week or so. They're coming out with a 540 horsepower ISL 9 liter engine for the military. That's some pretty impressive horsepower. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I can do better than that. <laughs> That's before a few weeks. They're going to use that in armored personnel carriers. Uh, infantry fighting vehicles, things like that. Which is, I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. Um, they also have approved the use of hydro hydro treated vegetable oil. Well, one that? thing, real quick, Pete. Did they are they putting emissions on military engines yet? I know for a long time they had exemptions from that, and they were still running. You know, a lot of fourteen liter Detroit's that were non emission. Are they still non emission in the military? I would say so. Now, it, this does have a, um, a VG turbo on it. Okay. Huh. Which would it almost be for that kind of horsepower. Right. Um, but say anything about any type of emissions. Yeah. Uh, it can run, oh, wait. You know, it can't because it's running on high sulfur fuel. Oh, okay. They, they that, can run yeah. high sulfur fuel. 
Yeah. So non-emissions. That isn't it? Yeah, 20, 20 some years after emissions started, they don't want to do it in the military because it's mission critical. Yeah, I, I kind of thought my mm-hmm. business was mission critical too, but I had to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. And then they they're um, approving the use of the hydro treated vegetable oil in off road equipment from three point eight liters to fifteen liters. I thought that was kind of the, odd. The what? The hydro what? Hydro-treated vegetable oil. What does that even mean? So that's making diesel fuel out of um, right. old cooking oil. Oh. It's a, an odd thing yeah, to... The French fry engine. The French yeah, fry I just engine, thought right. that was a odd... Um, but what if you fry your stuff in duck fat? Does that... <laughs> Well, that, that, the fuel then. That duck, yeah. duck fat is more efficient. It's more energy dense. Mm. So not all hydro treated. They're not all equal. Whatever you said. That's right. Equal. That's right. Mm. So I wonder how I wonder how the ECM would know if some fuels have more energy are more energy dense than others. How it would change things like timing or like fuel pressure because if ECM is trying to com- control when that combustion cycle happens. So if different fuels are different across just vegetable oils, is that something they process all out? I wonder. Well, that made me wonder that multi-fuel 10 liter that uh, Cummins is is bringing out, that that the fuels were so different. You know, when you get down to these, you know, different types of diesel and you know, we have biomass and biofuels, and they're, they're still fairly similar. There is a difference in, in uh, BTUs and, and energy density, but that engine that Cummins brought out is running on fuels with wildly different energy densities. Right. Yeah, because they're running on jet fuel, or it can, which can is it, basically kerosene, right? Uh, pretty similar. Yeah, they're diesel, kerosene, jet fuel, those are all kind of in the same family. But this one also, we were talking about this. What was the other weird thing that this ran on? It's almost like the opposite of fuel chemically. What was that? Does anybody remember? Hopes and dreams. Yeah. Might <laughs> was as it well hydrogen? Be. No, it wasn't hydrogen. They- it was... Um, yeah, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I know ago. we did, and I, now I can't remember. Ammonia? Ammonia. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Yep. Ammonia. It's like, is there ener- any energy density at all in ammonia? It's got to be really low. Yeah, I think it's pretty low. Yeah. But I mean, I don't but know. But you're right. How does, oh. how does the ECM and, and all the complicated electronics deal with all those different fuels? Or I would imagine that the fuel has to meet some sort of standard. So they that maybe they be. mix it all together. It has to meet a certain amount. Or does the ECM have... Uh, I've seen gas engines have like an ethanol sensor okay. that measures how much ethanol is in there. So you can run anywhere between E85 and E50. Got it. So it has a sensor that will adjust the timing based on how much ethanol is in there. Maybe there's a veggie oil sensor. Must a, be. The, the duck fat sensor. Yeah, it's a French fry <laughs> sensor. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else you got, Pete? The last thing that I read this week, and I, I kind of like this idea, is that, um, so, you know, they want to ban the internal combustion engine in Europe and, and here, that um, Germany's fighting it, and that they actually um, 
are delaying the vote to ban internal combustion engines in the European Union because they said they were simply not ready for it. It, it can't be done. Right. And, and they're going along with it, which was, you know, finally taking someone's advice that might know about this. Yeah. They must listen to the show. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so hopefully it'll trickle down over here as well. Yeah. Like I, said, I have nothing against what we're just not ready for it. You know, it's interesting. We just uh, drove a long way through California. We went from, you know, Oregon down to Southern California and then back up. And I, w- and then spent, you know, a week driving around LA. I was shocked at the number of electric cars on the road in California. It is so much different than everywhere else. And it's not just Teslas, although I have never seen so many Teslas in my life. My God, they're everywhere in LA. They're like Subarus in Oregon. There's so many of them around. Um, But then I also saw a ton of the E-Mustang. I saw a bunch of the Hyundais. I think that one's called the Ionic. Um, What others did I see? Uh, Just... Lots and lots of electric vehicles. Oh, a, a ton of Rivians. There are Rivians all over the place. Uh, what other models? I mean, it's pretty easy to spot the electric yeah. models. They, they usually look pretty significantly different. But I, I was just shocked at the number of electric vehicles on all the roads in California. But around L.A., it, it's, you notice it. I mean, it, it's really, uh, I was shocked by how many. Yeah. Yeah, we're starting to see a lot of them around here, too. I follow a Kia electric car to and from work. Um, it's a, it's a strange-looking car, like you said. They definitely they, look different. They all look different, yeah. Volkswagen, that was the other one there. Um, oh, yeah. Kind of that Touareg-looking thing, the SUV that's all electric. I saw a bunch of those. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, interesting. All right, Pete, you good? That's it. All right, Leroy. What's on your mind this? What's this? The, the meaning of life is 42. You know, I, I keep meaning to talk about this. Every week when you guys log in, there's always some strange cryptic message. And I always think I I'm going to ask about it. And then I always forget. Today I'm asking. What, what's this? I have no idea. Weird we got to give it short. We're not setting those. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we are. That one we did. Isn't that like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of? the end of that book i don't remember no that idea I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's what it is it's like a uh, first time i heard about it was from like elon musk in a podcast that's one of his little quirky things he likes i'm pretty sure that's where it's from huh all right so what's on your mind the this book week? i've never well i have a bit of story time if you'll allow such a thing of course so i had a truck here on the dyno this morning a 2015-ish ISX coming. And the complaint is it has low power and it doesn't have any check engine lights for it. So we sort of do our initial checks with air in the fuel and fuel pressure and restriction um, on the inlet side. And we, we don't really see anything. And we also check the high pressure side, the side that comes out of the common rail pump that makes roughly 35,000 PSI full load. This truck makes about 350 horsepower to the ground, which is really low for this CPO. So I feel like this is one of those cases where I have to eat my words 
where I say if it has low power, it generally has a check engine light or a sensor's not reading right or something. Well, all the sensors read correctly and there was no check engine lights for it. There were some inactive ones and I really didn't think anything of them because they were older. So AR drove and I had the laptop and we start doing our digging. And this had stumped me for about an hour and a half or so, maybe two hours. But what we ended up finding I personally think is really interesting, and maybe somebody out there is also nerdy and finds it interesting, but it was the interaction between two systems inside of the ECM. One system being the engine protection system, which says if you have low oil pressure, if you have high coolant temp, some of those are set to shut down, some of those are set to derate, right? And then the other one is something called the fuel derate handler, which basically just handles any sort of injector or fuel rail issues, misfires, things like that. So what I ended up finding was this thing, if you would clear the fault codes and you ran it once on the dyno, we did one dyno pull, it would throw a quick check engine light for low rail pressure and would go into engine protection mode without any sort of derate. Now, the funny part about it was the check engine light would go out and it would just run at 350 horsepower. And it would, never, it would not tell you anything otherwise. So I guess what the, sort of the interesting part was the fuel derate handler saw that there was an issue with the truck, reported it to the engine protection side of the ECM, which puts it in a derate, then shuts off the check engine lights and then just lets the driver go as such. And to me, I just can't believe there, it feels like that's such a, a pitfall, a, a flaw in the, the diagnostic system. And sometimes I hear people say, oh, well, this does a strange thing and there's no check engine lights. And I tend to say that that's impossible. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. And I have found a very rare case where a truck had low power and no check engine lights. It was very interesting. Huh. Yeah. So what is. we ended up finding what initially causes the check engine light was it actually does have really low rail pressure. There's something wrong with the pump, but the pump is good until about 350 horsepower, about 425 horsepower. The pump can't keep up and it loses all of its pressure. So the pump is good when it's in a derate mode, but when it's out of derate mode, it can't supply enough flow to the injectors. Well, that's bizarre. I just thought that that was a, a very, yeah. Bizarre is a good word for yeah. it. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, thing but you know what we couldn't have found that without the dyno we couldn't have found that without you know understanding how the system works and reading about the fuel derate handler right. from a patent and about the engine protection system so it's uh it was just the right combination of things to find something that i feel like if you didn't know these things would almost be impossible to find why it had low power it, it that seems like it would be really tough yeah yeah it was really tough, but we figured it out. But now we have to go figure out why the pumps. So, all right, <laughs> that's uh, a part. Good story. Good story. I like it. What else yeah. you got? That kind of was my morning, so I didn't have much else to uh, to think about besides that. All right, we're uh, we're gonna go see if we can help some people on the phones. Then we'll get started in Wyoming. Patrick, welcome. Morning, guys. What's on your mind so today? We're in the middle. Well, we got we had a six NZ come in oh, a couple of weeks ago on in a Columbia two thousand two or two thousand one I can't remember but anyway 
Well, JR and I thought, well, it's a 6NZ. It's just going to take 45 minutes to an hour. Well, three and a half hours later, we were pulling fuses and trying to get that thing to quit squawking inside the ECM of the truck and finally did. I'll tell you, if it wasn't for that guy knowing what he knows, I think we all would have still been sitting there wondering how we were going to tune that damn 6NZ. And I'll tell you, I just got to give a hand of applause to the guys in the back office, Leroy, you too, because you come across these stupid things and you know how to handle them. And and that's real impressive from my standpoint, my point of view. Uh, we got a happy customer out of that truck that, that, that took three and a half hours to finally get tuned. We got a happy customer. Uh, and he's telling his two friends because, you know, all a truck driver ever has two friends. So uh, later on down the road, I'm sure we'll have, you know, some more happy customers as well. But a round of applause goes to you guys for, for what you know and 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 how you know to get these other systems inside the truck to shut up long enough to tune the ECM. And I couldn't believe it, but there was three systems that were talking so loudly around that ECM and to that ECM that uh, it, 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 it just took that long to figure it out. It was crazy. Yeah, I remember JR telling me about that story. And if I remember right, it was pretty cold where you were, right? Yeah, and we were standing outside because I had one of the grandkids over visiting with the wife. And, and uh, we were standing outside and it was colder than a witch's titty and a brass bra. And, and uh, uh, we finally went in the house and then JR called me back and he said, you know, I think we got to start pulling relays and fuses. Uh, so we, so we did that and, uh, it got those two, those three other systems to shut up long enough to, to tune it. But that's, that's all in the knowledge that these guys have. And, and like I said, round of applause to, to, to everybody that works back there, especially JR and, and, and Leroy for, for knowing these things and sticking to it and, and making things, uh, I don't want to say it, making things conducive to what we're trying to get accomplished at the end of the day. Um, Patrick, do you know you're part of my reality, Gary? There you are in Cheyenne. You sent a truck into our shop, platoon. First time we I'd ever spoke to you. I think seems like a pretty nice guy. And you you were a nice guy. We talked and my God, we must've talked 20 times after that. Yep. Couldn't get fuel mileage. And look at the knowledge that you have gained in those few years. Absolutely. And, it, and it's from listening to guys like Leroy and JR and you and, and Ethan when he worked there and, and, and those kind of things. And, 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 and how conducive to my trucking operation this has all become as far as my fuel mileage, my yep. knowledge of the insert in the 07 that I'm driving now. Uh, you know, and, and, and I'm going to throw this out there, 7.5 miles to the gallon this morning. Then I had a tailwind with a W9 and a, and a, and a hopper, but I had a little bit of a tailwind and a sidewind, but you are in Wyoming and Wyoming is getting blasted. Wyoming and Utah basically, but mostly Wyoming is getting blasted harder than anyone. By the way, on the way to the snowmobile conference, I almost came knocking on your door because I was looking for a place to lay my head. It took us, a 449-mile trip took us almost 1,000 miles to get to Dubois. So 
Wow. I ended up staying in Laramie, so I was close to you. Well, you could have you could have came by. So and and uh, knew that. Uh, we 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 had a spot for you. You know, even okay. if it would have been out in the shop, and even if it would have been out in the shop, <laughs> we still had a spot for you. So, <laughs> so if it would have been the bunk of the W nine, that would have been fine. So long yeah, as there were so Kevin, Kevin, that ID four is that that Volkswagen that you saw in California? That's it. Yep, that's the one. I just saw one this morning. It's a nice looking car, and it took off like a jackrabbit. But I don't think I could drive it. You know, the other so, thing I, I, I was heard waiting. yesterday on the radio that I thought was interesting, and I, I Bruce, you may want to go try this. Audi has a new program out now. That I think uh, Audi On Demand, I think is what they're calling it. So they've got a new program. They have four different models of cars. The only one I remember was the e-tron, their electric, because I was thinking about that one. But there's three other models in this program, but the e-tron is one of them. You can rent their cars now by the day or up to a year on this program. And I thought, I might just go rent the e-tron for a day just to drive it around. That thing looks amazing. Hmm. Wow. I always get behind not, these, not ready, huh? I always get behind these battery-powered cars, and I wonder when they put on the brakes if the damn thing's going to die. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> no, but I always worry about it. <laughs> you know, it, it's just weird for no. us. I mean, we our, our whole life we've run vehicles on internal combustion engines, so it's a it's a big change. There's a lot of things to think about on these. You know, the one thing I'm concerned with, um, Tesla's got a lot of vehicle miles on the road with these things, but you look at some of these other models that are just popping up out of nowhere. I'd be really hesitant to buy any of those new models. Well, you know, Cummins, Cat, Detroit, Mack, Bobble, they all buy each other's engines. So I'll bet if you got into the proving grounds or the engineering centers of the different car manufacturers, you see everybody's there. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, like I said, it's getting interesting. If you drive in California right now, I was just shocked by the number of electric vehicles I saw. And their governor's telling them not to charge them whenever it's hot outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's going to work out really well. Day. All right, you too. Let's, uh, let's grab some more calls here. We're going to head off to Texas. Lonnie, welcome to the program. Hey, what's going on, guys? Can you hear me? Yeah, what can we help you with today? Uh, funny, uh, uh, I'm not sure who it was. It was Leroy or uh, another guy talking about the fuel issue. Uh, with, uh, was it a Cummins he was talking about? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm actually dealing with something on that on that aspect, but it's actually with a DD-15. Um, okay. Now... It's not bringing it up right now. I'm about to, I'm about to throw a laundry of uh, information at you, so give me fair warning. Um, okay. So well, what year is it? It's a, 20, it's a uh, 2014. Okay. Um, the code has come up a couple of times. Is, uh, it's SPN157, and it's SM10. And that's for the uh, low fuel pressure. Um. Uh, there's a list of things you can check on it. Uh, I've done a couple of things on it. Of course, the fuel filter isn't the issue. Uh, there's no really external leaks I've found. Um, I'm not trying to think anything else. 
Now, the one thing I did try is the uh, pressure limiting valve on the back end of the fuel rail. And whenever I replaced a new one in there and I cranked it up, barely wanted to run. And I thought that was kind of weird. Is there any, any uh, insight into that? So, um, you, you said it's 157-10? Uh, no, it's 157, is the SDN, and the FMI, or what do you want to call it, the, the back end, the second number is 10. Okay, and the codes for what, the low fuel pressure you said? Yes. So it's a, it sounds like it's a lot like the one I had this morning where the MCM monitors the rail pressure, and when the rail pressure deviation or the difference between the commanded and the measured is greater than a certain number, maybe in your case a, a couple hundred bar, right? Yeah. So I would think... Much like the Cummins, you have a few areas that I would check in no particular order. You could have fuel leakage from the uh, injectors in the high-pressure pump, uh, some sort of external leak. Did you see anything like that? Do you see any fuel anywhere? No, I haven't seen any fuel anywhere. And there's something else I'll explain, but I want to get too far off the path right now. There's a couple of things I want to talk about. But no, so far, I haven't seen any fuel, uh, any kind of leakage. Um, I did have the valve cover open to uh, inspect everything, and there's nothing going on with the lines or injectors uh, i've already uh replaced the lines okay whenever i had the injectors because a while ago I, I called y'all and i had this miss and it's still happening it's like an inter intermittent miss in my uh, mm -hmm. and and that's where the basically this path started trying to figure it out and it's just getting a little bit worse um now of course when you go to a shop I like to find a shop that would actually try to diagnose it and just throwing parts at it. But I've come to realize it's hard to find a true shop that knows a DD-15 and will diagnose like y'all do. Um, right. I know there's Redneck down here that uh, Bruce talked about. That thing about that is they kind of have a, I'm not sure if they have a backup anymore, but one time I called, the backup is like a week and a half. Um, but on the intermittent before, on the intermittent miss. It, it was. It's been there, and it's been there forever. And I've been trying to fi figure that out, and I don't know exactly how to diagnose or start diagnosing. The only thing that I guess the one thing I'm, I'm kind of focusing on is that uh, code that's sitting that S one piece at one five seven, the uh, low fuel pressure rail, and going right. with the, the actual says on that. I, that's what I would think. Yeah. No. I mean, low fuel pressure will definitely cause a miss. Okay. So. I guess just to continue my, my thought process there, you said that you replaced a pressure limiting valve or? No, I, okay, yeah, one time I did. Um, and of course, I didn't have the front, I don't have a primer like they would have in the shop. I'll sit there and I've primed it many times with my hand. Um, and used to, before this started had issues, it didn't have no issues uh, cranking up. But yes, I, I tried replacing the uh, pressure limiting valve and for whenever I put a new one in there, it actually had a hard time cranking up. And when it cranked up finally, it didn't feel like it wanted to run. It, it just felt weird. It's hard to well, it might have had a bunch of air in the line, and that might have been okay. why it was hard. Okay. I might have to that again. Yeah, I, I might have to go buy another one because that's probably that's been sitting in my my uh, glove compartment. I'm not sure if moisture got to it. Um, but... Now, uh, how many times have y'all had, one question I have is, how many times have y'all had a uh, pressure uh, sensor go out? Um, it can happen. It's rare. I mean, that's one of the things that could cause your issue is if the ECM is commanding 
750 bar from your system and you're only getting 500, that's really like where your root cause of your problem is starting from. It's commanding a certain fuel pressure and it's not getting it. So one, one of the reasons could be the sensor is just wrong. Um, that's something simply as you could just put another sensor in there and see if it reads right. Um, we also talked about the pressure limiting valve. Um, we talked about fuel leakage. Um, the other thing that is just sort of easy and can cause a lot of these issues is if you think about big picture the way that the pump works or any pump really, um, especially this high pressure one, if fuel comes into the pump, it pressurizes it to a higher level and, you know, uh, sends it to the engine. So if we have the old saying garbage in, garbage out, then we have an issue. So what I mean by garbage in, do we have fuel or air in the fuel? Do we have a restriction? Uh, do we have a plug fuel filter, you know, loose caps on it, something like that. If we have any sort of the low pressure side, if, if that has an issue, that will cause this code as well. Have you went through and checked any of that kind of stuff? Um, just visually, uh, I know it calls for a sight glass. I didn't know exactly where to put the sight glass on the system to try and find the uh, air. Sort of um, it's a bit hard to describe, but I can send you a picture of it. Um, and it depends on your system, whether you have like a DAVCO. Um, like if you have a DAVCO, you can put it right afterwards to see. You can also check inside of the clear filters to see if you're getting air bubbles. Again, that's going to be kind of hard when it's not on the dyno because you can't drive in and look at that at the same time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I know that's, 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 the, that's called being at the right place at the right time, which I don't have that luxury. So, hey, well, Have you changed the fuel filters out? Has, has that led I've, you to I've, any sort of... I've tried. That mist has been there for a long time, and I can already tell you it's not the fuel filter. Um, okay. I did replace the uh, portioning. Uh, I'm trying to think of exactly what it's called, the uh, portioning valve that... Mm -hmm. That's really uh, bad on the DD15s, and this is what the quantity control valve. Them. You mean? Or, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, a lot of people put those on. That's that's a uh, popular issue with those. Yeah. So I've already replaced that a long time ago. I honestly, I need to. I guess uh, make sure you get my information so you can send me exactly what I need to put on it because I need to do that. Um, another question um, I had on the on the injectors that pertain to the injector harness. Does it? I know those are brittle when you take them on and off and all that. Now, have you ever, whenever those go bad, what exactly do they do? What what happens to the engine? Is, I mean, besides throwing codes. Um, well, if you have a wiring harness issue, you can see mainly one of two things that will happen. Um, so that is the electrical connection from the MCM in a DD15 case, which just means ECM. It's the engine control module. Um, it's the electrical connection from the MCM to the injector itself. So if you have any sort of issue with that wire, you will most likely see an open circuit code, which also feels like a misfire. But you, most of the time you'll get a code for an open circuit. The other thing that can happen is if it's not an open circuit, but we have a circuit that can only handle a small amount of amps because it's frayed, and it's hanging on by one strand or two strands, then you'll have a deteriorated signal to the injector, which may also cause a miss because instead of getting the proper uh, 12 volts or whatever, I can't remember on a DD15 what the voltage is to the injector, you might be only getting five or seven. Maybe you're right around the threshold where the injector solenoid wants to fire or doesn't want to. You could be riding that threshold with the frayed wire. Uh, that's primarily the two things you'll see with 
wiring issues from the MCM to the injector. Okay. So I guess the, from everything we've talked about, I would say the couple places that I would check is one, another quick one is what does your fuel look like? Does it have anything in it? You know, um, you know metal shavings, algae, anything like that. Okay. Uh, algae, I know it's not in there. Uh, metal shavings. It was a long time ago. It was just barely a couple, but it was real tiny. But nothing significant. Might be honestly, it might be on that low side of that pump, so it might be that. But um, probably later today, if not tomorrow, I'm gonna. I need to change the uh, fuel filters anyway. And once, and another thing I'm gonna go ahead and do is I'm gonna go ahead and change out that uh, that sensor, that uh, pressure sensor as well, because the pressure should be down on it. Um, yeah. The the only thing that's kind of left. If you replace all of that and it still has an issue, it either has a bad MCM, it has some sort of intermittent loss in like the crank sensor or the cam sensor, like engine speed it temporarily loses, or your high pressure pump is bad, or you have an injector issue. I mean, all those things that we've talked about, you can review this. It's got to be one of those things. Okay. And I'm assuming one of those issues is most likely causing your, your miss. Oh yeah, 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 I got you. Um, does your misfire, does your misfire have anything to do with fuel level? Like, is it less of a problem when your tanks are full versus being low? No. Uh, now, one time, um, it was a long time ago, but it's not anywhere close to what's going on right now. I did get them pretty dangerous low, and I probably honestly caused one of my injectors to take a crap. But that was a long time ago. That's probably a good two hundred thousand miles ago. So that's not even that's not even worth talking about. Um, but no, I I, I, keep, I keep it pretty good on the uh, level, and I even thought about that as well. And even with the levels, I have full tanks right now, and it's still doing the same thing. Okay. My thought was, you know, sucking some air someplace. Sometimes a pickup tube will have a crack in it, and you'll suck a little air under certain conditions. And, and there's a come-and-go problem that is related to the fuel level. I, I was looking at that angle. But if it doesn't seem yeah, to make no, a difference, then we don't have to worry about that. No, I got you. I, I, I the one thing I do want to search for is I want to search for the uh, air in the fuel, and that's why I called y'all because all this stuff of our research and have an idea, but that's one of the main things I, I want to get uh, a uh, a good handle on. Um, now, you just said the uh, cam sensor uh, could be at uh, fault, sending a wrong signal or whatever, making mis misfire. Did you just say that earlier? Yeah, that's a very rare case that's sort of – the, probably the rarest of all the things that we've talked about because you would have a situation where the ECM is looking at RPM signal and one second it's reading 1,200 RPM and then the next second it reads 75 RPM. So that will okay. temporarily shut off the injectors, which would feel like a misfire. That's sort of okay. the intermittent either crank or cam sensor signal. Gotcha. Um, I just, I'm trying to diagnose as much as possible because I'm trying to find a place to do the work i just i don't want to send it somewhere and there's no parts at it and and I, after a while it just gets to the point where like i just spent two thousand dollars and still doing the same thing kind of kind of defeats the purpose right yeah no exactly right, um well um, you, you want me for my information uh so you can send that that side glass so i can know where to put it and how to yeah I, I saw you posted on the tribe you care if i yeah. just send you over the information through a pm yes sir you, yes you can Okay, I'll send you some stuff after the show. I uh, appreciate your time. Uh, what y'all do, keep on doing it. All right, thanks for the call. Let's go to 
drop that one. There we go. Let's go to Virginia. Charlie, welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. What's on your mind today? Hello. Okay, I called Pete yesterday because I had a boost issue and it showed up as on the ECM as being too, a bad injector. Well, when I fixed the boost leak, the injector came back to life. That little hose coming off the EGR cooler was cracked. Couldn't see, couldn't split it, uh, open it up to see it. When we took it off, we couldn't even shine light through it. But, well, after we tested it and found out it was a bad injector, I wasn't satisfied. So I checked that little hose a little further, wrapped rescue tape around it, and it brought it back to life. Well, when we put the new hose on to retest the injectors, the injectors was not bad. Would the ECM try to compensate for a boost leak coming off the EGR valve? off the EGR cord and make the truck run and sound like it's got a miss. You could even feel where it felt like it had a miss or a skip. So, what, what oh. engine what year is it? It's an 07 DAC 5, 60 series, 14 liter EGR. Okay. And it's the same one. It took, me, it took me four years to find a low fuel pressure on this truck. 2017, we put a new injector pump on because it had low fuel pressure. Still had low fuel pressure after we put the new pump. We couldn't figure it out. Come to find out, I had a cracked fuel line on the clamp right off of the injector pump that never showed any sign of leaking. It took four years before it started dripping with the truck shut off. Hmm. So this truck does strange things. It's a strange truck. <laughs> so you're you, you're saying that what you had found was there was more EGR going into the intake than what was supposed to be going in, and the ECM was trying to compensate for it. Is that is that what you? Uh, well, I had a boost slate okay. coming off of the EGR cooler. There's uh, on the tubes. There's two rubber hoses. Would the ECM have tried to compensate for the, I'm going to say, the less air and either cut the fuel back because it acts like it wasn't getting enough fuel? Would the ECM have tried to compensate? And when we tested it, made it seem like it was a bad injector. Yes. Yeah, so and it only showed up on number one and number six injectors. If you had a boost leak there, yes, the ECM will try to compensate to a point. Now, on a DDEC-5, it works in this way, where the ECM compares how much fuel it's putting in the engine to how much air it has. It knows how much air it has based on the boost sensor. So if you have a leak, it will do two things. It will try to close down the VNT turbo to try to speed up the turbo to make more air. And at some point, it will limit the fuel if it based on how much boost it sees. So if it sees 15 pounds of boost, it doesn't matter where your foot's at in the throttle, it will only limit you to a certain amount of fuel, which is not 100% fuel. So what you're saying is when you feel that you have a boost leak and it feels like it wasn't getting the fuel, that's 100% true. It's most likely okay. it was just in a smoke control state trying to limit the amount of smoke put out because it wasn't receiving the air, so it can't put the fuel in. That shouldn't cause okay. a misfire, though. 
I would not think that that would cause a misfire, no. Smoke control is a very normal thing that happens on all trucks. Yeah, okay. But would it, if it's not getting enough fuel, would it make a sound or feel like it's misfiring? If it's not because getting it's enough fuel. Because more fuel. Yeah. If it's getting, like, like you're saying, if it's a low pressure issue or it's air in the fuel, that would cause a misfire. But if the ECM is just limiting the amount of fuel going in because for smoke reasons, then no, it would not feel like a misfire. Okay. Well, like I say, this truck does strange things, and we wasn't able to physically see the crack, but it opened up, and I could feel on the hose, so that's why I wrapped a rescue tape around it. And once I wrapped about four feet of rescue tape around that inch and a half pipe, she came back to life. A boost came back. What it was doing is it was building to 30 pounds, and then it would quiver. And it was actually jumping more than quivering. And I thought it was the fuel filter, because that's exactly how I felt, like a choked up fuel filter. I changed right. the filter alongside the road and didn't cure the problem. Another one of our drivers was beside me, and he said through the exhaust, it sounded like a bad injector. Mm-hmm. But that's why I was just wondering and kind of letting other drivers know that that little hose coming off that EGR cooler has a whole lot to do with your with your boost because that was the only leak I had. And it opened up, I guess, under pressure and heat. And because, like I say, we could not get it to open up to even see light. And when you stuck your flashlight in that was tight on the hose and put your hand, uh, you actually had suction on the hose. So it must have been a hairline crack that it was taking heat. And I don't know what this, what the boost pressure is on this one idling, but that was enough to make it open up that crack. That's very interesting. Yeah. I'd like to see. I would That's like what to see the that man said when he, when he changed that hose. He said it was very interesting because we spent a half hour trying to get that hose to open up to see the crack, and we couldn't do it. You have a lot of issues with uh, hoses cracking on your truck, huh? <laughs> well, not really. That's the first one. Uh, the line, the fuel line, the fuel line cracked, and it was a steel fuel line, and like I say, we couldn't find it at all, and I drove around for four years. Actually, we couldn't get the truck to take the tune-up that it wanted to on the dyno, but when I got her on the road, she opened up, and I had to come in and have her turn back down, and we still couldn't find the fuel leak because of where it was located. There was no signs of that line leaking. Until it finally opened up enough to start dripping, but the truck shut off. And so happened, mechanic was changing the fuel filter, and he seen the drip. If it wouldn't have been for that, I'd probably still be driving around with that back fuel line. If it wouldn't have started dripping. Because I didn't think about the fuel line causing low fuel pressure. Yeah, Like I say, we we put a new injector pump on it, and it didn't help it. Mm Mm-hmm. That night. So, you often think your lucky stars for that find. Yeah. Uh, same way with that. You don't think about it at the time, but that little, them little hoses on that EGR tube has a lot to do with your boost. And yeah, yeah, without, a, without actually having a smoke test, 
you got a, I put my hand in there and could feel a little bit of what I thought was warm air. Now the truck was running, but the side of my hand that had the air was not coming from the fan because the fan was on the opposite side. Uh, and I thought, well, it's worth a try. Rescue tape ain't that expensive. So I wrapped that around it and it brought it back to life. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, yep. I wanted to let Pete know that that did cure the problem. I mean, trucks run and fine. She'll build 47 and a half pound of boost. Don't ask me why. That's setting at 515 horsepower. She'll build 47 and a half pound of boost. Nobody can tell me why. Uh, let's keep driving it. I'll be in to see you all next January. This coming January, the warranty will be out on the motor. So then I'll come see you all. We'll tune it back up. Because when y'all put the tune in, it would only build about 42 and a half. Wouldn't go any higher. Right. So I'll yeah. definitely be yeah. back in to see you all the first uh, first part of 2024. All right. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. We're going to move along. We're going to head off to Tennessee. Austin, welcome to the program. Yeah. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. What can we help you with today? Um, good. I just bought a 1981 Ford with a big cam 300 in it. TPL 0471. Um, I didn't know what all you can do with that. That truck, the block's got a million seventy thousand on it. It's been rebuilt one time in its lifetime, and it's set for about the last six years. I mean, it's ran a little bit. It may have had like three thousand miles on it in the past six years. I didn't know if there's anything I should look at it, or what can we do to get a little more juice out of it? Well, if you want to pull the camshaft out and change the cam key and retard the timing, we can take it from 300 to 500. So uh, you don't have to change the liners or anything to turn that nope. CPL up? No. Nope. Nope. It's just the cam it's change. It's in the timing, not the cam. The cam key that offsets to change the timing. Okay. And then we reflow the pump and the injectors and change the turbo and put the dual fuel line kit on it and the new torsional damper and mercury-filled engine balancer and, and get a boost gauge, a pyrometer, and a liquid-filled fuel pressure gauge in there, and you're set. Gotcha. I'm, I'm going to put a pyrometer and a boost gauge in it. What do you expect out of the stock setting on it right now? What should be adequate? Yeah, boost and pyro. Well, pyrometer. All pyrometers, if you put it on the hot side, normally run about 1,200 degrees. That's in the exhaust manifold. And if you put a boost gauge in there, you're going to see about 15 pounds. 15 pounds. And then uh, I'm not real familiar with the old engines. As far as water temp and, and uh, oil pressure, what should them engines run? That, that engine runs 38 to 40 pounds of oil pressure, and the coolant temp will be around 180. Okay. If you're going to start buying some parts, we would appreciate if you put our boost gauge and pyrometer, and that way we know we're getting a true reading. They're made in the USA. I got your gauge in my Caterpillar. I'm the livestock caller from Indiana that I bought the turbo from you, Bruce, Austin. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. So what made you buy this old Ford? It was my grandpa's. That's what I learned. That's what I grew up with. He bought it in Uh. 19... 88 and he sold it in 2010 and i probably rode oh i bet i rode 170,000 miles in that old truck when i was growing up and i had to have it back and come up for sale 
That's where the addiction came from then, right? That, that's where the addiction. I drove it home Saturday, and I tell you what, I smiled all the way home. Yeah, there you go. It's amazing what it, a piece it, of iron can do, huh? That truck has got 529 rear ends in it, and it, the transmission in it, it's got an overdrive against the dash. It's got that old hockey puck-looking style 13-speed selector on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that truck will run 70, over 70 mile an hour. So what is the final ratio on that transmission? I thought it was a .87. you have any ideas on that, uh, Kevin? You know, I'm almost thinking if it's got 529s, it's, it's probably a .74. Is that a yeah, common not, transmission? Not, they, didn't have, they didn't have .74s back in the 80s. They didn't? See, you're just before no. my time. Is this just a little before? So I don't remember that. Boy, that's a... But keep in mind, it's got, I'll bet it has four or five tall rubber on it, correct? Yeah. No, it's oh, got 22 really? Dayton's on it. Wow. Wow. Well, my grandpa, he switched the transmission because when he bought the truck, it would only run 60 to 62 mile an hour at 2100. Right. And he, so he put that drive in it. He made it a double over somehow. And you like, said the yeah. shifter up against the dash. When the shifter's up against the dash, some maybe an older owner operator that knows about those could call in. And when you flip it into overdrive, that transmission sounds like it's going to come through the floorboard. I mean, it really, it sounds like <laughs> you're hitting a, a super gear in it. She's a whining, huh? Yeah. That's a whining. So, and okay. one thing more, Bruce, that, that turbo that you sold me, the exhaust housing, I'm going to bring that other one back to the truck show for you. You let me loan. Okay. You, you loaned it to me. Uh-huh. So instead of so shipping do you it like back, the 32 I'm, or the 40? Which one do you like, the 32 or the 45? The 45 is the one I like. Well, that's what I thought. Means you like a free-running truck. I can tell I the difference, and we talked about that before. Yeah. Yeah, so. It's not the rate of acceleration, it's how well it cruises and how much slower. On the boost, at the same speed, same terrain, no wind blowing, how many pounds of boost did we drop going from the 32 uh, to the 45? I dropped about three pounds. Three pounds. Did you gain any fuel mileage? I, well, I can't really say because I quit pulling livestock trailer and I started pulling a tanker more, so that's apples oranges. I really can't tell on that. Yeah, okay. But I'm you, sure I did. You, I've, uh, are you okay. pulling a smooth bore? Yep, smooth bore, liquid okay. tanker, food grade, and then I do inedible smooth for same type of tanker, so then, just different. I, I just have a thought now because I've only rode in a smooth bore loaded once or twice, and I was shocked that when that load transfers to the rear, what it does to that truck. Um, me and you were a cattle hauler, you had to probably start out and be very light with the throttle and through the gears because you want to keep the animals on their feet, right? Right. So did that transfer over to pulling the smooth board? Yeah, but we haul liquid eggs, and it's I think they're like 14 pounds per gallon. So you got probably, oh, I don't know, 18 inches in there. So it'll hit you pretty hard. and. If you stop with a load of Holsteins, it hits you pretty hard, but you ain't going to, I mean, you're going to have to get out and get them all back up. The eggs, if it hits you, it's just, oh, well, you know, but yeah, you drive them about yeah. the same. Okay. Okay. All righty. All right. 
I'll let you guys go, and we'll see you at the truck show. Thanks for the call. All right. It looks like that's going to do it for today. Anybody have anything they want to wrap this up with? Yeah. I, All right. Dave Bream, raised on a dairy farm. He's a great guy. He drives for... Could be. It's a big environmental company. Yeah, they haul a lot of has. They haul a lot of hazmat. And he's on a 2021 or 2020 peak with the X15. Runs catalyst from day one. And Clean Harbors takes all their trucks at 200,000 miles and goes through the emissions and does a DPF cleaning. And they did it at Edmonton Peterbilt. So they take his in while he's with us snowmobiling in Wyoming. And the mechanics take it apart. And they call Clean Harbors and said, there's something strange in this truck. And they said, what's that? They said, there's absolutely no soot and carbon. So they yeah, called Dave. They saw that because I run the Max Mileage Catalyst. And Clean Harbors would love to use it, but they, again, another one of these fleets, they can't train their drivers to put one ounce into 25 gallons. So back to Carl Kellner with the little five-hour energy bottles. They hold two ounces. And they seen the whatever's in that five-hour energy must be pretty caustic because they'd use a good grade of plastic and it's acceptable with the catalyst. So why don't these fleets just get those little bottles, the two-hour energies from their drivers, and put the catalyst in there and say every 50 gallon, put one of these in. Bruce, you have to be careful. Somebody will drink it. Oh, all right. So they could put tape around <laughs> yeah, it and yeah, not show it. Something, yeah. Do you, um, do you remember as a body man, do you remember the pink stuff that you put on after oh, yeah. the paint job? What was fill, that called? Fill and glaze. Fill and glaze. Yep. All right, so. Early 70s, I'm in Cobalt Hall, Detroit, and I'm a judge for International Show Car Association out of St. Clair Shores. And people would take the fill and glaze bottle and wrap masking tape around it. And there they're polishing their car in the, in the show. And I walk up, as soon as you smell it, you know, right. it had that yeah. smell, and you can yep. see it straight. And uh, I said, Why are you trying to disguise fill and glaze? <laughs> And they just look at you. <laughs> yeah. So back to the five-hour energy bottles, we could just put tape around them or find out who makes the bottles for five-hour energy or a similar bottle. I'm sure that we could find out out or Dr. Jane or her partner, Britt. Some of us, someone we could find out, but we are not going to use our labor to put two ounces in these little bottles, but a fleet couldn't. Look what it would say. Or a lot of these fleets fuel at the home terminal and then they have to fuel out on the road but even if they just treated the fuel at the home terminal the truck would still get an advantage yeah not as good as an advantage of of every time but it would still help and eliminate some of these other problems because i said to dave when he was telling me about this one evening we're sitting around the fireplace and and i said don't they realize that you You've had no check engine lights. You've had no forced regens. You've only had your passive regens. And all the other trucks have had emission problems. Right. The only problems they have are emission problems. So why are people so hesitant on that change? Just like on your diets, right? You know the grain's bad. You know the sugar's bad. You know the carbonated pop's bad. But 
and everybody continues to do it. And back to the catalyst, I don't understand why these fleets won't try different things to keep everything running. Two things I can think of, um, and I think it works both for the diet and fuel economy stuff. These are two areas. Think about in your lifetime, Bruce, when, when they first started telling us what we should eat, how we should work out. You got to eat low fat. You shouldn't eat too much salt to skip the eggs. Decades of that advice. And then all the crazy diets that came out and none work or they work. You can lose some weight, but they're not sustainable. You end up gaining it back. I think after decades of that, people are just tired of it. They, they just stopped taking advice because the advice was so bad. You know how many products have been on the market to claim they increase fuel economy. Most of them don't. I, I, I've tested dozens of these things, maybe hundreds by now. Most of them just don't work. And I think after a while, people just get tired of it. Yeah, but, but they have to know. They should realize spotless. And they sent me pictures of the DPF, and then it looks brand new. Why don't they question that and say, we need to make a change? I agree. I agree. But they don't. And I, I don't think we'll see it um, widespread, not at all. But you're right, though. The, the fleets that have their own fuel tanks, that's an ideal situation to at least treat that. It's easy. Treat that, that every time right. your truck gets that fuel, it's a benefit. So that would be a great place to start, but they don't even bother with that. So, you know, the, the, the bottle thing and the cap, we, I just dealt with this. We were at a big trade show in L.A. last week. Imagine this, Bruce, a show just about the same size as Louisville, but the same number of people attending every year, about the same number of vendors, but it's in Anaheim, I, right across the street from Disney, of all places. And it's all food. So imagine that many vendors of food. That's what we were just And it's supposed to be natural food, uh, but that word doesn't mean much. But then a big thing was packaging. So there are a lot of packaging companies there. So we're looking at starting a couple products, creating a couple products, and we're looking at packages. The interesting thing about containers in the food world there are companies that sell containers, bottles, jars, pouches, all kinds of different containers. Almost none of the companies that sell containers sell lids. There's a whole nother group of companies that sell lids. That seems odd to me, but that's mostly how it works. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, hey, uh, down to tell you right, I lost weight because of the price of the food. <laughs> I had chili for lunch and a salad for dinner. <laughs> yeah, I came go. back about six pounds lighter. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Now I'm going to keep that trend. I'm starting today, Kevin. Your diet. There you go. I've been on and off it, but today, today, I have to get rid of another six pounds. So, well, Bruce, that'll happen by next Tuesday. Good. Yeah, that, Good. we'll be talking okay. about that next next Tuesday when we do the show. Uh, all right. So, hey, what does yeah. prune juice, when you drink prune juice, oh. I drank a half a little can of prune juice yesterday when I got home, and wow, I mean, it's explosive. Uh, yeah, it, it's mostly some fiber and a couple other things. Uh, the, the good news, Bruce, when you switch to this diet and you really stick with it, all that digestive stuff goes away anyway. 
you won't need the prune juice. Yeah, when I was on the cruise a couple of weeks ago, I really suffered. Probably, I had yeah. acid reflux and yeah. everything so bad. Well, you know, the food on the cruise ships, uh, is a, a lot of good food, but you eat everything, and the, the desserts were phenomenal. <laughs> they, they, all the cakes and the pies are sliced really thin, so you can have several. Yeah, that's why you need to lose six pounds now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I came back. It was a nine-day cruise. I gained 14 pounds. <laughs> it sounds about right. All right. Well, we'll see. I think we're, we'll uh, we'll wait to hear your results next week. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to wrap this Take up. Care, I will see you back here tomorrow. I've got a great guest joining me tomorrow, the CEO and founder of Four Sigmatic. We'll be talking about Cacao and uh-huh. adaptogens and mushrooms and uh, all kinds of good stuff. So, uh, you know, the other uh, interesting thing, Bruce, he's uh, he's from Sweden. Uh, really interesting guy. Started the company for Sigmatic, but I also got a chance to meet him. He was at that food show we were just at, so I got to meet him last week. Oh, okay. He'll be with me tomorrow. In fact, I've got a I've got a call in today and order about four more boxes of each because I think it helps with the sleep. There you go. It's different. It takes a while. It's not you know you don't drink it and get sleepy, but over time it starts to really kind of balance out that nervous system and it does help sleep. So. We'll be talking about uh-huh. that. I think it helps quiet. Oh, well, good. I think it quiets the mind. Good. I think it helps quiet the mind. There you go. Okay. All right. We will see you back here tomorrow for that. We'll see you back here next Tuesday for the Power Hour. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.